We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the hills of Strawberry Canyon, I'm Coin Dang, and this is the Golden Bear Cast. Let's go, go Bears! What is up, Cal fans? We are back with a, another episode of the Golden Bear Cast. We are a proud partner of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside me is Rob, my co-host, myself, and Andy. Rob, what's happening? How you doing? It's Monday night. Cal has a victory. Could we ask for anything more? We could. Yeah. We could. No, no, don't don't answer that. We could ask for something more. But for now, could we ask for anything more? I felt the need to. <laughs> I feel pretty content. I feel very content today. I was like, yeah, that's what's up. This was a good week. <laughs> that was a good good weekend. I didn't do anything on Sunday. It was so a great weekend. Just, it was an absolutely yeah. great weekend. I mean, if you did something on Sunday, I would have been impressed, If you, especially if you live in the Bay Area. I did an hour walk. <laughs> In that rain? Yep. You are and crazy. The North Face jacket I wore had soaked through the inside. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this is a design flaw. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, Buster was also, just... I mean, I'm also pretty sure that they don't test it through the third worst storm in the last 50 years in the Bay Area. It was so good. I hope we had one. I, I honestly hope, wish we had one of those a month. Yeah, Nick put out a tweet earlier today or tonight where he was like, I think we could use one more. If you got, hey, Nature, if you got any more of those, we'll probably use one more. One more atmospheric river. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Dixie Fire was 100% contained. Uh, I believe Tahoe has now reached above its normal levels. So, Lake Tahoe, yep. Mm-hmm. So, we're in, a, we're in a good spot now. And a solid 20 plus inches of snowpack, which is big. So, but we're not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about the fact that Cal absolutely walloped Colorado mm. in what was a exoneration. No. What is it? What is it again? Exorcism. It was an exorcism like the one of Emily Rose. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. Ew. Uh. That, that movie scared me. Yeah. Not a fan. That was our 2021 exorcism. <laughs> and now we're just going to 
ride off into the seven and five sunset seven and five. win all, seven all five. the important games. Seven and five means we win out. Yep. Right? right. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And that actually, was. Go ahead. That was. I think what was very joyful was like reading Nam's novel and reading Nick's postgame report in seeing the actual positivity associated with the win and everybody kind of recognizing that going and and attending a game like that is very fun. And they come few and far between too. They have. Yeah. They have. But you got a shout out on Nam's novel. I did. (laughs) You got a legitimate shout out. That was like when I knew I had made it. (laughs) I'm a Cal celebrity now. Nam writes about me in the novel. It's like, damn, I tweeted something that Nam thought was actually valuable. (laughs) (laughs) Seven and five every year. He now can kind of see the allure behind it. That was a big win right there. That was yeah. a big one. Yeah. He still says he's not one of us, but there's still time. There's still time. <laughs> there's plenty of time to flip him. I feel like we play better when Trace is in the press box. Can we talk about that? Yeah, I think we do too. I believe this is this was his last game in the press box, though, at home. Excuse me? Yeah. No Oregon State? I don't think so. Well, uh, maybe goodbye, I'm speaking seven and for five. Trace. Maybe I'm not supposed to say this on the air. Maybe I'll have to delete this, but... uh. I believe due to scheduling issues, the next gun he's going to be able to make is uh, Stanford. But that's at Stanford. Yeah. So there's that. But let's talk about this game. Let's talk about Cal, Colorado. Early game, 1230. And it ended quick, too. It was like, did you see how long the game time actually was? Like real time? I did not. Three hours and 59 minutes. Is that fast? I think so. I mean, I think the average football game is probably around four, a little over four hours. I, I, Sonny Dykes air raid. If you're playing two air raid offenses, you're probably looking at five hours. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, the longest football games of yeah, all time. But it was pretty fast. Um, Just running you through the stats. Cal wins 26-3. Dario Longhetto, four of four from field goals. Kaleki Latu with his first touchdown pass. I believe it's first catch as well. And Gavin Reinwald, of course, a 31-yard touchdown pass. And those were the only two touchdowns. Everything else were field goals. Are you ready to find out what the average college football game is? Ooh, what is the average college football game? Three hours and 24 minutes. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. So longer than the average football game. I, why does it always feel like it's four? should be around four hours, though. Maybe it's just our games that we've like been to so many that it feels like four hours should be an average. I felt like we were right in the ballpark of that. It was like 1230 to 330. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Cal 23 first downs, Colorado 7. Uh, net passing, Cal 225, Colorado 69. Nice. Total offensive yards, Cal 438, Colorado 104. So uh, not great, Bob. Not great. Uh, at one point in the game, I talked about this with Trace, but I don't know if you heard me because you're sitting on the other side of me, but. How many? Do you know how many tackles for loss Cal had going into this game? Yes, I do Ooh. remember this. I think we had. No, that can't possibly be right. Was it? Uh, 
28. 26. And then we had, at the time, I remember you saying, I think we had had eight, seven or eight. Yeah. So that we had effectively had roughly produced a third of our season's tackle for <laughs> tackles for loss in a single game. We ended with 12. <laughs> so, so about half. 50% of our year's production came within a single game. It was unreal. It was an unreal defensive performance. Four QB hurries, six sacks, 12 tackles for loss. This was this was the quintessential Wilcox defensive game. Yep. Absolutely. You know the last time that Cal hasn't allowed a touchdown under Wilcox? Um, have the... I was like the cheese it bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that was is close. Yeah, uh, actual answer I believe is uh, Washington State the smoke bowl, where we won 30, 36 to three, where we smacked them. Yeah, on October the thirteenth, and it was a Friday. So yeah, that was that was the game. Um, Andy, your initial thoughts coming out of that oh so sweet victory. Okay, let's see if we can do a tie through here. Okay. Last week, what did we ask for? We asked for to see we asked to see rotations of players mm-hmm. and continue to see that on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. And that to me is everybody knows I'm I'd lean optimistic. So let me just lean more optimistic here. <laughs> Go full optimist, Andy. Full optimist. Okay, this is the narrative that I've crafted in my head so you guys can see how insane I am. I'll just say it. I'm just going to come out. I'm just going to give you the narrative. I think that we look at this team and we look at this defense and we say that there's a lot of players that are tenured and therefore should be good. But when I look at, at this defense is I see a lot of guys that didn't see the field nearly as much because they were blocked by incredibly elite NFL players specifically at corner safety linebacker so that when, and yes, we're going back to 2020, which once again, I said was a throwaway season. So I'm really kind of talking about the progression from 2019 to present day and where I'm saying that that lack of game experience specifically is at inside and outside linebacker because coin got hurt. All right. I wouldn't be saying that if coin was here, but, and then Tattersall has kind of fallen off mm-hmm. the depth chart. So at those two positions, and then on the outside at corner, right? Chiggy was supposed to kind of assume that role and has been surpassed by Gamble and Hearns. And then at safety, Daniel Scott seeing his first true like starter role. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Elijah Hicks shifting the position. So Hicks is really the one that I think kind of bucks that trend. But when I start talking about, or when I start in my own head, right, in this narrative, thinking about the fact that Hearns is a freshman, Gamble is a freshman, uh, you know, Ruchina, how did we say we were going to pronounce his name? Ruchina? Ruchina. Ruchina, I think, was the pronunciation guide. Nice. Um, And, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on my other dudes? Femi Oladejo and Trey Pastor. Pastor. I mean, you could even make the case like 
Bimage is new to the program, but I'm really kind of talking about these younger guys mm-hmm. that are seeing the field. And what that is going to do is set up the next 2019 defense. It's going to set up the next 2018 defense. What was the one thing that Wilcox inherited when he came into our program? He inherited a team on defense that had spent a lot of time in game situations. And he was able to take those guys and make them even better. So now it's really about the development. So if you're asking me, why am I excited going into next season? You're going to have the foundation because of the amount of rotations that we're in. We're literally rotating our linebackers every single drive. We're going to have so much depth at the linebacker position because all of those guys are now seeing the field consistently. The one area that I think we continue to, I would, you know, we need to breathe more life into is still the defensive line. We looked fantastic. So I don't really mean to take anything away from them, but we don't win those against teams with bigger, better O lines. And that's been an issue for us this year. That's the narrative that I look at on the defensive side of the ball and say, I want to see this thing out. This is what I want to see progress. And a lot of people look at this and they're like, it's the fifth year. It's his fifth year. How could this be happening? But like, what if, okay, so what if eight and five, when we went to the Red Box Bowl, like what if that was our early peak? And then we were supposed to maybe like take that next leap, but 2020 kind of wiped it away. So you have the Red Box Bowl, like you're built, like I'm looking at this, like how do you build a program? So you build it. Right, 2018, you have a good season. 2019, you go to the Red Box Bowl. You know, you win the Red Box Bowl, eight and five. All right, 2020, whatever the hell that was, and 2021. Now you're kind of resetting because you know you lost those guys. You lost the Cam Bynum. You lost the Jalen Hawkins. You lost the uh, Ashton Davis. You lost these guys to the NFL, and you needed to bring in the new guys. And then 2020 kind of showcased us that these guys were, you know, susceptible. Why was Darius Allen's were so good? Because he came in and he started as a freshman and he played four years. Like same, like I feel like that happened where we would have corner after corner after corner that would come in. Saquon Thompson, perfect example. Came in as a freshman, played super well. He was not perfect. Never was. Same thing with Cam Bynum. Cam Bynum wasn't perfect as a freshman. Nobody is. No one is. And, but what happens is they get that early game experience and things start to slow down so that by their junior year and their senior year, they're really, really good. And you get that national hype for it. That's what's exciting to me about the defensive side of the ball. Now, it's against Colorado, absolutely. But we're still doing these rotations. And anyone who's telling me, oh, it's just, dude, have you guys watched Oregon play? Die is elite. That guy is so good. We we held that offense to 24 points. We haven't played that bad defensively all year. I think it's been largely overblown. Well, we've gotten better as the season's progressed. Which we always do. That's Wilcox trend. Always. Always. I don't I can't think of a season where we haven't made that progression on the defensive side of the football. Offense is a different story. <laughs> so, end of rant. <laughs> that's it <laughs> what were your thoughts 
I, I think I kind of are on the same, like, that spectrum where I'm looking at it going, I mean, it's, once again, the caveat here and the asterisk, the footnote, whatever you want to call it, is that it was against Colorado, which I think is an absolutely valid point. I think I think that that needs to be there. So we might not need to talk about like ah uh, twelve tackles for loss. That's not sustainable week in yeah. week out, right? So we can get rid of that. <coughs> what we can look at though is how the team played, like just intensity, body language, all that, and schematically whether, as Coach Wilcox always says, were we putting our guys in the best positions to succeed? Were we game planning correctly? Did we have the right menu for the week? Right. Um, are guys in the right spots? Have we built on the mistakes that were made the week before? Absolutely. I, I for one, looking back at it now, am absolutely stunned that that this is the exact same team that came out and performed like that against Washington State. Yep. What the Washington State loss for me was less about the coaching and all of that, but more more so just it it was just he they were lost. Like they like had no idea what was going wrong. Everyone just looked like down and sad and upset. <laughs> uh, like no one looked happy to be there. But then after the Oregon game, something turned around. Like something at or even though we lost at Oregon, something turned around and it wasn't a oh here we go again. It was a we can do this. One or two more things happen our way, we win that Oregon game. Right? And then they come into this. They come into this game. I almost said Oregon State because that's what we play this week. But they come into this game and they just explode out the gate. They're like, "Nope, not happening. Nope. We know we can beat you, and we are going to do that soundly." That is the thing I've been looking for all season. Do not play down to your opponent. Always punch up. And if you can put a guy in the ground by halftime, you do it. And that's exactly what this team did. Looking back at it. There are still some issues and we'll talk about it. Right. But that was my initial thing of like, finally, we are not playing down to our opponent. We are more talented than them. We're better structured than them. We have the better schemes than them. And they all succeeded across the board. Yeah. That was it. I think that, what you said at the beginning, that's what I'm looking at. It, it doesn't have to do with Colorado. I mean, it has to do with progression. And that was the progression we needed to see to do two things, really. What you're talking about is basically we were we got a loud confirmation that the players are still bought into this program. Right. The second thing. Oh no. I was so excited to make this point, And I think it just. Left the station. Disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Oh well. We can come back to it if I think of it. But. I think that. the That was the. That was huge. To be able to. Restore that faith, I think, in the fan base of, hey, you know, this is a program that's still locked in, that still has a lot of belief, can't be underestimated. And as you 
move from this game to to Oregon State or I, I think the big thing that you you just continue to look for that progression. Mm-hmm. And there's no way you could tell me, even if we don't go seven and five, let's say we let's say we go five and seven. Mm-hmm. If you're in each one of those games and you're watching the defense continue to progress, I don't know. I think you can roll. I'm, look, we know Wilcox is going to be here next year. So you roll into that and you say, look, we got unlucky early in the season. We got unlucky in our out of conference. We knew that out of conference was going to be important into the overall look of the season. Yes, the Pac-12 is down, but a lot of places are down. I, I, I just don't. A, a lot of people look at Pac-12 is down right now like we should be capitalizing on the down Pac-12. And yeah, I wish we could be doing that. But like, we're just, no. We just can't. Like, we're not. <laughs> it's just, you know, and and every other program is trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think Oregon State is the only one that you can make the case is taking advantage of it, right? Like, who else? Who else is the not Washington, Oregon, SC, UCLA, Utah program that is fully taking advantage of it. No one. So anyways, I want to talk about the offense. Okay. Well, the, can I give you, can I, can I just give a couple more game notes just to, just to su- supplement your point about guys being rotated and being excited for what the future may bring. All right. Yeah. So the first point I want to make about what you were talking about is the progression of the defense and how they've gotten better. We started off the season in terms of opponents' points per game at, our, I think, somewhere around the 90s or in the 100s. Okay, that's where we started off the season at. Usually, as the season progresses, it kind of increases because you're playing more conference opponents and the scores are being a little bit more leveled out. It's like 24, 27, like games like that. We've actually gone up. So we started off in the 100s and now we're 55th in the country in terms of points allowed per game. That's where we're at. That's the first thing. The second thing about your point about the younger guys coming in and playing. My receipts guy, Oren Patu, courted his first career sack in this game. You talked about Marcus Bimage and Trey Pastor. Both had career highs of 1.5 tackles for loss each. Everett Johnson, offense though, played in his first Cal game today or on Saturday. Kaleki Latu on offense, but first career catch and first career touchdown. Jermaine Terry, first career catch. There's a lot of guys that go down the list that had th- that did something for the first time in their career. And I think that goes directly to your point of these guys are getting the game times they need to be able to be more successful down the road. Yeah. Love it. I mean, I just think seeing that stat progression and understanding that where Cal is, if you're in, if you're fielding a top 60 defense this year, the seniority we had was on the offensive side of the football. I have Chase, who's like been in college forever at this point, breaking every single record in most Cal record books at this point. Um, all of our tight ends are pretty seniored. Tonjes, Reinwald, like those guys aren't. I feel like they've been with the program for at least a couple of years. O-line came in with experience. Wide receiver, Kukoa, Trevin Clark, 
Like those guys are upperclassmen. Nico, upperclassmen. Offense was where we had the tenure. Where were we most successful with this with this program when defense had the tenure? We had a younger defense paired with an experienced offense. And I feel like a million times I've been countered on this idea of like the defense being younger, and I will continue to stand by it because of who's playing in the games. <laughs> it's like the younger guys are in these critical situations. Um, you know, I thought we would be, you know, we obviously have Drayden who's on the team, but Drayden's only into certain packages. So I think that if you wait a year or two, that's the, the pendulum is we're watching the pendulum shift. The pendulum is shifting right now and it's shifting slowly. And what we're seeing is the progression is happening faster on that side of the ball than I think we're seeing the progression happen on offense. The offensive side is very interesting to me. And this is the point I was going to make. It was great pivot. Very happy with the offensive performance. But if you look at the what it is built on, it's built on Chase running the football to be successful. And we've really struggled. Damian Moore didn't look good. And you know I love that dude. And I don't think it was his fault, but it's just like we're not getting as much push. Like Christopher Brooks looked good at times, but never dominant. And Chris Street, I think I w- I'd love to see him more. He's got that speed element that I think you and I really like. But the offensive side, I still think is so dependent upon Chase running that when you look at the second half, when everyone's like, oh my God, we only scored three points in the second half. Why do we, well, why don't we do it? We're up 20 points. That's, do you guys know, like, this is how Wilcox plays foot. This is, this is Wisconsin. Like Wisconsin was playing literally the identical game that we were playing. And I think their end score was like 30 to 13 or something like that. And I was like, if you get that dancey touchdown, the score is relatively the same, right? It's like, yeah. And I'm like, this is the blooper. You're up 20. All right, you're going to run the ball. We ran the ball a ton. We didn't take any deep shots. You know, we took safe throws. We didn't really go for much in third down situations. We avoided turnovers. We played that style of game to finish it. But what actually went away, uh, I noticed, was Chase's running. I thought that in the second half, we didn't nearly set up that element as much as we did in the first half. And it made it harder to progress the ball downfield. And so it resulted us in getting less points. And so I think as you go forward, we have to figure out a way to get the running game to the point where we have these running backs like the Damian Moore against Stanford of last year is what I'm looking for consistently in every single one of these games. And we haven't gotten it yet. And it's a big concern of mine because when defenses know that we can't run the football and then they can just clamp down and expect the pass from chase, it puts him in a poor position to be able to do what he does so well, which is, I think come up big in, in making the smart play, not necessarily the most flashy play. Like Chase is going to be the person that is going to make, if there's two reads that are open, he'll probably make the 10-yard throw versus the 25-yard throw. If, hey, don't get me wrong. The 25-yard's open and there's nothing else, like I think he's taking it. But I just think like he plays, and that's smart and he doesn't in it, and I think that's how he's been coached. 
So I guess on the offense side of the ball, the big positives, what you're talking about, we're rotating guys in. We're seeing more of those guys. I would love to see more Justin Baker. I would have loved to see J. Mike Sturdivant get in this game. Uh, and, but continuing to do that becomes super important. And as we go forward, I think the offense goes as as Chase goes. And as we've seen, it's a hit or miss reality because we're asking a lot of one person rather than, I think, being able to distribute that across an entire unit. Well said. Well said. Uh, no, I, I mean, I don't think there's any part of that where I'm like, is that kind of, is that, would there be a rebuttal point? I mean, let, let's, let me play devil's advocate a little bit. I think you, I think you and I are, are, we tend to be on the same page for a lot of these conversations, but let's, let me play devil's advocate a little bit and let's say uh, on your point about like us not scoring like that has second half scoring has been an issue with this team. And for us to not try and exercise those demons in this game when we could have, I think that's, that's the question that I would make if I'm an opposing counsel, like, Hey, we're not scoring in the second half. We tend to turtle up when we have these types of leads and our defense hasn't been good of late to be able to withstand the barrages of offensive outpours, right? Case in point, the Oregon game. Like, we had the lead, and then our off, our defense got tanked, gassed, and we lost that one Anthony Brown drive that gave them the lead, and that mm-hmm. was game, set, match. So shouldn't you be putting less pressure on your defense to make stops? Because even at 20-3, to three, or 23-3, that's two touchdowns, and it's a one-possession game, right? And... Yeah. So that would be my counter question slash point to you. Wait. Okay. Yes. I mean, yeah, I think that's kind of what we expected, right? I mean, did we not? I, I felt it. That was the anxiety that I had in the in the press box was, you know, we get this lead 23 to 3 and – Colorado comes out and randomly, I was just felt like I'd seen that script before. Just one touch, Colorado just one touchdown from Colorado. And, and it's like, Oh God, here we go again. Yeah. And you know, now all of a sudden it's 23 to 10 and the offense doesn't look good. And I, I deep down, I sort of believe that it was a test of, you probably are running the playbook out more open in the first couple of possessions. But after seeing that Colorado wasn't going to make much of a threat, <laughs> they barely scored the three points as it was. They got super lucky that we got called for what defensive holding mm-hmm. that reset. And I was on that third down play yeah. that gave them the first down. And, and then we held them to the field goal. And there was, they were not that close to actually putting any points on the board. So I think you're, you could my really what I was thinking the coaching staff was approaching this from the perspective of, okay, let's see if they can actually threaten us. And if they can't, then we're just going to play clock. And I wish our running game, like, dude, that's my thing. Is like Colorado had a good defense. They played well, but I wish we could have established. I mean, how many times you, do we want, we watched that toss play failed twice. Yep. <laughs> to the left and to the right. It just, it, hey, if it's a toss, it's not going to work. I mean, it just felt like Damian Moore came out the first couple of runs of the game, gashed for like 10, 12 yards in a row. 
And I was like, okay, here we go. We're going to establish this thing. And we just haven't. And it sucks that Jade Knot isn't coming. Not that any of our existing guys aren't great. Like, love them all. But I just, we got to figure out how to get a consistent run game going that doesn't revolve around Chase. Because he could get hurt. And that's why you don't see him run in the second half. Because he could get hurt. And it'll be the same thing when Kai's quarterback. Be great. But if he gets hurt. So, I don't know. I think... uh... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it's all valid. I mean, look, it would have been great if we had won 46 to 6, right? Just doubled up the halftime score. Fantastic. Or even 35 to 3 or 35 to 10. You know, I do think Dancy scored. <laughs> <laughs> I think most Cal fans still believe that Dancy scored. I don't think I, I if you had called that as a non-touchdown on the on the field, yeah. I don't think you could overturn it. But the fact that they over they called it a touchdown and they overturned it, I was like, there's not enough evidence. You can't unequivocally tell me that his knee touched. I think you said that I, it looked like his calf was down, but I didn't necessarily see the knee. I know, yeah. But. But. All right. Look, we got to talk about special teams. Okay. Longhetto is money. <laughs> money, Rob. What, did you expect this? Uh, No, but like. You, you and I were in the box, and I remember. Do you remember me clamoring for us to go for that like fifty-three yarder? Where I was like, yeah. "Just kick it. Why are we? Why are, no? Just kick it. Like, well, you let the guy kick. You let the guy at least try for like a what is it? What was it? Like a fifty-six yarder at Washington? And you're at home and you're up and you're not going to let him attempt like a fifty-four yarder. Like, just do it. <laughs> just do and we punted and it went in the end zone. Yeah. I was like, like a difference of eighteen yards. Yeah, I was like, just do it, you cowards. Let Longhetto kick. <laughs> Just let him kick the 50-something yarder. But what? He hit a 49-yarder, a 30-yarder, a 51-yarder, and a 33-yarder. Yeah. All, ar- all over the field. In different times of the game, too. First quarter, second quarter, second quarter, fourth quarter. It was impressive. And it was definitely the best performance from that unit. Mm-hmm. Albeit they gave up the big return from Jerry Rice's son. But maybe they just let Jerry Rice have that because he's the greatest of all time. And he was at the game. Can't buy them also at the game. Yes. 
The other thing I wanted to highlight on special teams was Colorado's punter was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> is he eligible to be in the transfer portal? Because my goodness, he is incredible. Seven punts, an average of 48.9 yards per punt, along of 57. Two of the punts were in inside the 20 and one touchback. He was, and the touchback was close. Yes, yeah, it I was. I remember that one. He, <laughs> there was one punt. It was, I think that was the 56 yarder. Like most of that was in the air. It was. Because Nico was catching all of those. Yeah. So, you know, that doesn't, that's not any benefit of a role. That was a, that dude was Brian Anger level of kid. All right. Well, watch out for him. He's going to be my top of my transfer portal. list. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that, I mean, the, the kicker for the special teams was uh, Slater Zellers getting called for an unsportsmanlike conduct. That was, that was a, what? <laughs> what happened? And I feel like he's been in the doghouse this year. Yeah. I mean, after the missed, the muff punts and, or the muff, the missed PTs and, and such. So, yeah. I mean, he got, right. He got uh, yeah. benched. Yeah. Sindrick came in to do the snaps. So, I don't know what the hell that was. That was crazy. I don't mind the aggression, honestly. If that's what gets you back into like the game of things, and it's just like puts a chip on your shoulder, I'm I'm good with it. What about the timing of it? Were we were up? It was like later in the game, right? Yeah, I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm only okay with it in this game. Oh yeah. No, no, I'm only okay with it if we're like, it's in the fourth quarter and we're up by like three scores, which we kind of were. So, right, we're up. I'm sure Wilcox absolutely hated I sh- I'm sure positive. he did. I am absolutely <laughs> positive he did. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I think I think that's right. So, so we actually got to hung out, hang out with like uh, with Sean, one of our listeners, right? And he's a former log snapper, right? Played at the U. Um, and he like goes to the... He was trained by the same guy that trains Slater and is like of the lineage of like Nick Sundberg. All right. And um, his his thing, because well, uh, well, we were talking about long snapping and his thing was the trainer that teaches you, uh, he says the way he teaches you and like the, the verbiage he uses is snap the ball that it kills the holder. Mm. Like launch it at him. Right. Yeah. And so I'm I'm looking at that going, okay, if if that's how he was taught and if that's like his his thing, could it I, I'm not blaming anyone here. I'm just the I'm asking the question. Could it be less of a punter or a, a long snapper issue and more of a holder issue? Like I, I don't know. I don't know long snapping enough, but just hearing that from him where I was where he was like, You need to kill the the holder, like that's how fast you need to hit it. Maybe that's the issue why they were fumbling the snaps. I don't know. But it was just interesting to hear that perspective of like, that's how you're taught is to like put so much spin and so much speed behind it that it gets to your holder faster. But like, you know, still within accuracy. So I don't, I don't know what the issues were, but clearly most of those issues have been settled and are, we actually have a good kicker and a good kicking game now, a reliable kicking game now. I do. There's an inkling of me though that does wonder, like when we get to the big game this year, like is Stanford going to overload one side again just to test us out again, <laughs> like from last year? 
Definitely. David. That's absolutely that's absolutely gonna happen. <laughs> David Shaw gamesmanship. Uh yeah. I think uh yeah, there's 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 so many little things from this game. But we have a bunch of questions, a bunch of comments. I think that'll help uh continue our conversation on this. So let's start at the top. All right. Because after every game, if you're listening to this for the first time, after every game, what I usually tweet out from our Golden Bear Cast account on Twitter is I said, I always say, send in your takes. Like it can be opinions. It doesn't have to be questions. Like your thoughts on the game, your thoughts on a specific player, or like a team moment, whatever. Uh, anything about the game, whatever you want to do, you send it in, we read it, and we discuss it, right? Uh, all opinions are valid. That's the whole point of a podcast. You're listening to our opinions. So why isn't your opinion validated? You could easily just start a podcast as we did. So we start at the top. We start with Sid. Super happy that we got the win. However, I'm taking it with a grain of salt because, well, it's Colorado. Just trying to not get my hopes up, honestly. What are three things Cal needs to do in order to secure the win against OSU? Also, it was nice to meet Avi. She met Avi. Yeah, it's awesome. And Avi replied to her saying, sweet, uh, or nice to meet you too. See you at the tailgate next week. I bet I think Avi invited her to the tailgate. So if she comes to our tailgate, she'll get to meet all of us. Uh, but yeah, Andy, what are the three things that Cal needs to do to secure the win against Oregon State? Cal would need to take advantage of a weaker Oregon State defense. Mm-hmm. So offense has to win. Basically, look at this as what Wilcox says. Guys have to win their individual matchups. Offense has to win their individual matchups. Offense has to win their matchup against Oregon State's defense. Secondly, I think defense just needs to play good enough to win the game. So I'm, you're not, you're not going to see three points from Oregon State. But if they can hold them to 20 points, notice, notice <laughs> very specific number, 20 points or less, we have a really good chance of winning that football game. And we need to simply avoid costly mistakes and or create turnovers. I don't know, I feel like a coach right now so vague so perfectly perfectly vague that you really couldn't like poke any holes into it but there's nothing of substance <laughs> yeah i mean andy hasn't done his research on oregon state too so it's not like you point out guys on oregon state like we need to attack that dude are you kidding me what about the uh what about my boy from uh laney right corner last chance you yeah no, uh, yeah, I mean, I I know Oregon's Oregon State's defense is is I mean it's John it's Jonathan Jonathan Smith coach team like you know what you're gonna get really good offense super beatable defense <laughs> and then we need to win the, we need to win in the areas that are the toss ups so we need to win special teams we need to win the field position game we need to win turnovers yes it's boring it's bland it's coach talk but at the same time I think like. At, at a at a vague level, like that's what you would you need to do. If I was a fan, I'd be like hundred yard rushing game from one of our guys, chase throwing for another two scores, and uh, you know, a linebacker stepping up for twelve tackles. <laughs> that's my fan take. What about you, Rob? Same question. I think the first thing that has to be done is that we can't go with the game script we've gone all year. And by game script, I mean like narrative of like how have games have gone, because 
if you if you didn't watch Oregon State last week, they played Utah, right? And Utah was up. And then Oregon State decides our offense is going to start to turn up. And in the third quarter, Ant scored three touchdowns unanswered. They scored 21 in the third quarter, and they come back to beat Utah. If that's the way the game script goes for Oregon State, it's ripe for a loss for Cal. Because that's exactly our game script, right? We're going to go up to like a 17, you know, like six lead or something like that, a half. And then their offense decides to show up and our offense starts to, you know, turtle a little bit because we're okay with the lead we got. And then our defense is just gassed, takes one series off, and it's the Oregon game all over again. And they run rampant on us. This Oregon State offense is actually, I think, better than the Oregon offense as a team. Individual players, I think Oregon might be better, but uh, as a team and what they can do. So if it, it, it can't follow that script. The defense has to lock down from the get-go, and the defense has to lock up all game. But as you said, the offense needs to come out and fire a little bit and give that defense some breathing room. 21 points is not going to be enough breathing room against this Oregon State defense or this Oregon State offense, especially if we're going to punt the amount of times we punt in the second half. So clock, drives, and points. The defense is going to do what the defense does. It's just how long and how much of a like leeway are you going to give your margin for error are you going to give your defense? And that's all on the offense. The thing we did against Colorado too is like one of the big trends for this defense was we w- were not getting off the field in winnable down and distances. Mm-hmm. Third and eights, third and nines, third and sevens, third beyond 10, right? We would get in those positions and then we would give it up. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that happened against CCU. I felt like it happened against Nevada. I felt like it happened against Washington. We needed those stops. And the thing that happened against Colorado was we, dude, <laughs> they didn't get a first, they didn't get a first down for a while. Like they didn't, they struggled to convert. And I hope we take that confidence in getting off the field into this because you know you just sort of know that any extra possession or any extra down that you're going to be able to give or set it down so you're going to be able to give to this offense is going to probably hurt you a lot so as much as we possibly can and as early as we possibly can getting off of the field will be important mm-hmm. because as you're mentioning if the offense is going to do what the offense has done for the last few years the defense cannot be gassed or get gassed at the beginning of the game because they need to be able to have the energy for the second half and the end of the game. I mean, the the rebuttal point to that, to my own point, would basically be they're rotating so many guys in starting this past week that it doesn't it it doesn't look like they can get gassed. True. So that just needs to that just needs to continue. Ungassable. Ungassable. All right. Pat asked us another one from a. Uh, on Twitter, does Cal ever flip Stanford recruits or does that only work for them? Is rotating five running backs, including QB, more effective than going with your top two the whole game? Or were they just confident the game was in hand that they could play the others in the second half? So let's start with the first part. Does Did we did we flip Chiggy? Who did we flip? We flipped a cornerback. Yeah, it was that was Nigel Edmonds under ah, under uh, under Sonny, but doesn't really count because he never actually really played for us. What happened to that guy? I, I, be, I believe he went into a modeling career. 
Wait, that wasn't we had the other that wasn't Muhammad Ali's grandson? Well, he transferred to UNLV and then went into modeling. So <laughs> yeah. Both of them went into modeling? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, does it ever happen? It does. It does. It's just not often. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. You want to talk about what he's referencing? Yeah, Jackson Moy... Def- uh, outside linebacker slash defensive end decommitted and committed to Stanford in the fourth quarter of the game and where the Cal defense is playing outstanding. So I believe he visited one of Stanford's home games the same weekend Cal had a home game. So that was already a bad start. Um, and uh, yeah, it flipped. It happens. It's recruiting and we move on. It's a position that we're like, we have great talent. Would it have been great to have him? Absolutely, because I think he is an outstanding talent. But the one position that we could afford to lose, like a guy, um, is that front seven. Do you say that because of the class that we already have coming in recruiting-wise? Or do you say that because of the cl- the previous class of 2020? Both. I think we have enough depth there that these guys are going to have to compete in order to get playing time next year. And uh, it's going to be hard. And some of them are probably going to attrition and they're probably going to transfer. But at least they came here and they gave it a shot. So, like, he would have had to do that. I'm way more concerned with the transfer portal than I am with anything else, recruiting-wise. Fair point. Especially with the waiver. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, the flip side of that argument is that we could probably hit the portal hard, too. Yep. So it goes both ways. The portal has an entry and an exit. It is not a one-way street. <laughs> they need to make a Marvel movie about the transfer <laughs> portal. <laughs> that's that's the Spider- mysterious that's place. That's the Spider-Man game movie that's coming out in December. Multiverse? multiverse yeah. yeah. Um, let's... Let me ask you about that. You can answer the second one. Is rotating five running backs, including the quarterback, more effective than going with your top two the whole game? Or were they just so confident the game was in hand they could play others in the second half? I mean, this is a great question. I I think that I stick with 
Well, one, we've been asking for the rotation. The rotation, we look at rotation as here on the Bearcast, we look at rotation as a good yep. thing. And, but the other thing to be said for it was like, I don't, I didn't think Damian Moore was showing. It just, it just wasn't his day. Yep. And I didn't think, I thought Christopher Brooks had better runs. Chris Street did had DeCarlos a, play? DeCarlos was, did not suit up. He's yeah, weak so to weak. DeCarlos so. didn't play. I miss him. DeCarlos. My receipt guy. I, yeah, I miss him. But yeah, I thought Chris Street looked good. And you don't get to see those flashes if you're not rotating. Yep. So for me, it's like, yeah, let's get as many, especially in that situation. Like I was actually shocked. We didn't throw a backup QB in yeah. at the final drive and let somebody else have it. But we did see Jermaine Terry, which was so awesome. You guys like if anyone wasn't at the stadium, <laughs> Jermaine Terry is so big. <laughs> the dude is humongous. <laughs> like he looks like Vernon Davis out there. It's just hilarious. He looks like a transformer and everyone else is a human. (laughs) He could be amazing. So it's just so good to see that and Kalecki get more involved in the offense. You get the sense that Kalecki is progressing very fast. Six, seven will help you do that. And Terry is, is a little bit behind that. But when we're going to have those two guys be our two tight end set, oh boy, (laughs) that's going to be unbelievable. Um, so yeah, I guess I would say like it's it's both. It's you want to see the younger guys. It's game situation in that the game was basically entirely out of hand, and I also think it's game situation in the ineffectiveness of your other running backs. I don't know if the line was setting up a ton of really good holes, but yeah, I don't. If if anyone watched the Niners game last night and watched Jonathan Taylor, yep. The way that he sees the field is is awesome. <laughs> like, Wisconsin running just, backs. Yeah. He just doesn't ever like... The big thing with him is I feel like he doesn't necessarily just take the hole because someone tells you like, always oh, run into the hole. Like, follow your, like he'll actually take the time. And like, that's what I love so much about Damian Moore. I honestly think like maybe he got hurt in the Washington on that Washington play. Like we know he got hurt on that play. He just hasn't really looked right since then. And I, so, you know, as being a, a, what a fan can see, Hey, you know, it looks like he's not right. Maybe showing well in practice, but that's what I really like so much about Damian Moore is, is that he has that vision. He can actually see like he, he, instead of seeing the whole, like, instead of being like, okay, the play is designed to go this way. I am going to go this way. Damian Moore will actually take the time to observe and say, Oh, actually, you know, there's a lane open up over here that I'm going to take instead. So I hope that, we can continue to develop that among other running backs, but I would love to see a show a little bit better against Oregon state in that department. I think the only thing I'll add on is coach has always said guys earn their snaps in practice and what they do with the limited snaps. I think the reason they played five guys was other guys are, are starting to show and flash and they want to see what those guys can do in practice or in game now. And you have that stable of running backs that you can do it. Right. And that's huge. Huge. Absolutely huge. And that bodes well for competition. You need competition. Now Damian War has his chip on his shoulder, and he's going to look over his shoulder now and be like, ah, crap. Like, if I don't start picking it up, one of these guys is going to pass me. 
Dancy had like 50 yards <laughs> that none of them yeah. counted. <laughs> he looked yeah. great. And I'm I'm really I'm really grateful for what Dancy's done this season too, because he was the lead back for a, a while. And he's taken a step back to these younger guys that have taken over that role, and he barely plays now. And he seems to be cool with it. <laughs> like that's I'm un, that's the best. That's the guy for me. Like this year is going to be for me. It's like the underrated, like undersung hero, or the unsung hero award. He's all right with it. All right, uh, we got Cal Callie Scotty kind of asked the same question. With our fourth decommit of the class, any names of uncommitted recruits that we still have a shot at? QB and running back seem like areas for focus. Uh, I'll take this question and we can move on. I think the, the hardest part for this is to gauge what relationships we've built. Um, it's so hard being only a month and a half out from early signing period or like maybe two months out from early signing period to know like what relationships the coaches still have with certain players. Uh, like, I don't know, like, let's look at the quarterback, right? Like after Justin committed, I'm sure we kept tabs on some dudes, but I'm sure we kind of were like, all right, he's in. He said he's in. We can start focusing on other things. Now they have to re-pick that up. I don't know how far along that is. Same with the running back. We had two guys in the class, and now we have to try and scramble for another two. I think if you're okay with the guys you have on the roster, I think you stick with that through the spring. You go through spring attrition, and you hit the portal hard. That would probably be the approach I take in order to backfill some of those rooms. Running back does need a recruit in, but also that's only if you lose guys. Because Street, Dance, or Street, uh, Moore, um, Stretic, who's a walk-on who apparently everyone loves because of his athleticism, um, and. I mean, even Brooks could be back if you really want to. Um, and so you have you have a room now of guys, and they're all young. So you you can, if they all stay, take a gap year on that, which that'd be two straight gap years of not taking a running back. But then again, that's where you get the portal. So I think uh I think the way the portal's been handled, like Andy, what you were alluding to, and what the portal provides now, more so than any other year or the or since like two years ago is that you can totally change the dynamic of your roster if you know which guys to get. And case in point, UCLA with Zach Charbonnet. Case in point. They had, they have Casimir, who's Casimir who's Allen, the guy that we all, we all wanted at Cal. And all he does now is basically run kickoffs. <laughs> it's the Zach Charbonnet show over there. So, All right. Uh, Terrence asks us, <laughs> Andy, have you watched Dune yet, or have you read the book? I watched right. it. Uh, I, I kind of don't want to answer this question, but I'll, I'll, I'll at least read it, and we don't we, we don't need to talk about it because it's only been out for less than a week, and I don't want to spoil it for people who are listening to this. But he asks: Is Garber's uh, Muad'Dib examining a number of factors comparing Arrakis to Berkeley? You can clearly see the direct line from Paul Atreides to Chase, and then he writes it out like a thread, and he says one of seventy three. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we're not going to answer that, Terrence, because there are a lot of people that haven't watched it yet. So, but that's a very good one. I might save that for later. Uh, let's see. We got a couple more. Sh hold on, hold all on, right. hold on. I was muted accidentally. Okay. First of all, love have seen Dune. Okay. Love it. 
Second of all, hearing that mm-hmm. question made me realize I probably understood far less of Dune than <laughs> I should. You might need to read the book. I'm telling you, you need to read the book. Oh, man, was I confused for the first 30 minutes yeah. of that movie. I'm like, what the actual hell is going on? And you know the problem with it? Like, there's no problem. It was a great film. But you know the problem I have sometimes is like, when things are set in like t- the year 10,000. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, the year 10,000. So there's like some stuff where I'm like, oh, yeah, like that's pretty dope. And then there's other things where I'm like, we're still doing this shit. <laughs> 8,000 years from now? (laughs) You're kidding me. We're still dealing with that? So I thought that was... uh, Anyways, that's... uh, I don't think that ruins anything. It's a good film. (laughs) Uh, Shavit Karen asks, any idea of J. Mike's availability? Also, what's your take on who the starting wide receivers would be next year? Shavit. What's up, man? So J. Mike... um, So he had a cast on his arm, uh, like a big club, over the last start of the season and then there was a picture that he put up uh when they were in uh eugene i can't remember whose twitter it was or whose instagram it was but it was with j mike without a cast or like a sling on his arm and then in practice and warm-ups on game day this past saturday j mike didn't have a, a a cast or like a club on his hand so that bodes well for me that he's probably a back to 100% health. Now, how much time he's missed and what he's been able to do in practice since uh, said injury and not playing, despite suiting up for games, that's where the question lies. Is he game ready, right? That I don't know. But from a physical standpoint, he's doing the warm-ups. He doesn't have a cast. He can catch with both hands now. He's doing all that. So maybe it's, uh, we'll see, like in due time. We'll see. I think that it will depend upon how much these games matter. Yep. Is that fair to say, do you think? Yeah. I mean, but his, I I would argue like the opposite side of that and say he's a talent that you probably want on the field, at least just just looking at his like recruiting tape, right? Like he's, I don't know how far he's come in like learning the playbook and what the, what Burl Toller wants out of him as a wide receiver coach. But, like, his talent just jumps off the screen. So, I would say you'd probably want that on the field. Question is, who would he even take? Whose snaps is he taking? Like, unless there's injury, I don't know if there's any guy you could probably take snaps away from. Um, So, and maybe his body's not at the at the place where he needs to be to, to play as well. People forget Jermaine Hunter, like, he had a full year of college strength and conditioning. Yeah. Jeremiah? Like he was here last year. Yeah. Like on campus. So But next year, okay, let's, let's talk, talk next, next year. year. So let's let's talk about who the guys we think that are probably gone, right? Nico's probably gone. Kiko's probably gone. Trayvon's probably gone. Yeah. Like at least just from seniority. We're not even talking about attrition and transfer portal. So with that said, I think it's pretty easy. For you? Okay. Yeah. Give me them. Who's your starting four? Oh gosh! <laughs> now, now, <laughs> now I'm concerned. <laughs> Jeremiah Hunter is one with, with bonafide number one. Yeah, Baker's two. He plays in the slot. Okay. Sturdivant three. Okay, plays the other outside. Who'd be other? I don't know. I only got three. <laughs> Maven Anderson. I don't know yet. 
Maybe Anderson hasn't played yet. I think I think uh Aiden Lee might be one of those guys. Monroe Young might be one of those guys. Um, yeah, Monroe Young. It's a good one. Yeah. So there Tommy Christakos might be one of those guys. Uh there's a few guys. It's spring ball is gonna be really fun to watch. Especially if like if Chase decides he's gone and he can't come back for another year, by the way. If Chase decides he's gone and now we're gonna have a quarterback competition and a wide receiver competition at the same time come spring ball, that is extremely exciting. <laughs> extremely exciting. Yeah. Wide receivers were... They recruit. Man, I just... The Kai era is going to be fun. It's going to be fun. That's if Kai wins the battle. I'm telling you. You're Kai a, you're a believer be of Kai, so... Whenever it comes. All right, we got two more. Uh, we got one from uh, Kai. Ah, talking about Kai, we got one from Kai. Uh, he, he has three points. The first one, two touchdowns versus Colorado equals bad. Turtling in the second half, keeping opponents around equals bad. Sucks that a missed play by Cal's defense could have changed that complexion of the game in the second half. Second point is the underneath routes worked? Question mark. And the last point is, can Cal score enough keep up with the Beavers? Wait, can we go through the bads again? (laughs) So his first point is that two TDs versus Colorado equals bad because arguably they're the probably the second worst defense in the in the conference. Turtling in the second half and keeping opponents around also bad. And then his last point from that is that it sucks that a missed play by the Cal's defense could have changed the complexion of the game in the second half. What was that? I think it was the interception. Or the or was it the kickoff return? It was a, a misplay by Cal's defense. Okay. One, good question. Thanks for asking. Thanks for listening. Two, fundamentally, we see the world differently. <laughs> <laughs> and that's totally fine. And and I think that is, you know, I really like the the difference of opinion on it. For me, I look at it, I'm like, I I wouldn't look at the two offensive productions. And if you look at things like that in a vacuum, it, it, statistics are really helpful, but you can't just lean into stats. Like it has to be a blend of both. And if you look at the overall game flow and what was happening, it didn't call for more touchdowns. You don't need them. Sure, it would have been great to have a couple additional. We only really only have two. We had the Latu touchdown. We had the Ryan Wall touchdown. Yeah, Is that two it? touchdowns, two what? Two t- uh, two tight ends. Yeah, I mean, I just and, and then I man, I don't have any complaints about the defense. <laughs> like there's I there's just not a lot of things that I think I would take away from that. And the, the offensive production in the second half we kind of already covered. There's a lot with football and understanding like what your coach wants to do. Wilcox wants to play this style of football, wants to win these games, wants to win nine, 10 games playing this exact way. This is the way you play it. You play vault, you play control, you play clock. When you get a lead of 20 points, it's basically a coffin, right? That's what yep. you want. These smaller leads where it, it, dude, of course, if it was Sonny Dykes, we had a 20 point lead. None of us felt safe. None. <laughs> we all were still anxious. That's the style of football he wants to play. Run and gun, run up the score, you know, 55, 45, like massive, massive scores, right? That was the whole idea of 
the air raid offense. This is very different. Like we're not playing that style of football, a 20 point deficit from an opponent. They should look up at that and say, holy shit, there's no way we're coming back from that. How are we possibly going to catch up? That I think is the identity of the program that Wilcox is trying to build. So for us to go and highlight specific things like the number of touchdowns without acknowledging where the score was at that point in the game, I'm not sure is a totally accurate reflection of what's really happening. Yes, it's an interesting data point, but in isolation, sure. But if you broaden that out and take take us, you have to move up to your 5,000 to 10,000 foot view, you get a bigger understanding of where this fits in and how it actually fits into what we saw. Therefore, that's kind of why I look at this and say, you know, that's really why how I build my perspective on this is this is a game that went almost 100, 100% to mm-hmm. script. We haven't seen that. And that's also why I think you've seen a slight turn in some of the post-game pieces that were there that we're talking about. There was a little bit of like a tiny bit of light that I think opened up on this door (laughs) and people were like, oh, damn. Oh, I remember my second point. Yes. (laughs) All right. We'll go full circle on this. I had. (laughs) No, I forgot it again. Damn it. All right. Well, it was there, Rob. It was there. I was too hyped. Um, Come on. All right. Give me a second. Distract me. Distract me while I think about you, this. Let's backtrack a little bit. What you were talking about. You're talking about the little shiver of light from Wilcox and his pressers. And people were like, oh, right. So what's the second point? <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. It doesn't appear twice in a recording. Oh, my God. I'm not even deleting this. I'm just going to keep this in. This is well worth it. People that come full circle and be like, oh, we're going to get that second point. Oh, <laughs> such a letdown such a letdown what the hell it was right there honestly the laugh threw me off the laugh threw me off all right onwards it was yeah. a good question but all right so his, his second part was he was talking about underneath routes working which i think is a is is a product of them clamping down on chase running because his first run of the game went for 38 yards and i think they started to clamp down on it so that's what they were trying to stop Ultimately, it worked, and they started to run the ball and throw the ball elsewhere. And that worked. It absolutely worked. So he did what the offense gave Like, Tom Brady was on the Manny cast earlier today when I was watching Monday Night Football. Um, and what he was saying was, so, so Manning's question to Brady was, all right, what do you hate? what do you hate more? Do you hate a team that has super good talent that stays in their base defense and look every single play right or they're a team that's maybe not as talented but gives you hmm. exotic looks changes up the pressure disguises and just does that every single time and brady's answer was that it's regardless of who he plays it's always hard but what he loves to do is he just throws with whatever the defense gives him. If they're giving him the short pass, he's going to throw the short pass. If they're coming up short, he's going to throw long. If they're going out wide, he's going down the middle. And if they're clamping down the middle, he's going to go out wide. Like that that was just his thing. And he was talking about they saw the defenses of like the early 2000 Miami Dolphins, right? With like Jason Taylor and them. And those are the guys that are super talented, same stance, same base package every single time, and that was hard to play. 
But a couple years down the road, he started to play the Rex Ryan defenses of Baltimore and the Jets. Same thing. Super hard to figure that out. But still was doing the, but approached it the exact same way. And I think that's what Bill Musgrave is trying to teach his quarterbacks. It's like, it doesn't matter what they're doing. We execute on our end. They're reacting to what we do. And it it worked mm-hmm. because he ran and scrambled. They started to clamp down on it. They were weary of of uh, they were wary of uh, Jeremiah Hunter and the outside threat. So what did they do? They gave us the short outs and they gave us over the middle and the underneath throws. We took advantage of that. That exactly what happened is that's with the Reinwald thing. It was like a twenty. It was like a twenty eight yard or something like that. But I mean, in in essence, that's like a quote unquote short pass, right? And it's not like a 40-yard bomb down the line. And the Kalecki one was just a just a little out route. Was it an out route? It's more like a corner. It was more like a corner. Or was it a smash? Something along those lines. I can't remember exactly what the route he ran was. Uh, it, it was a yeah. smash route. But yeah, also, not that deep of a pass. Fairly short. But they were giving them that. They didn't want to take the top off. And he worked with it. And that's why those underneath rockets worked, in my opinion. Uh, last one. Can Cal score enough to keep up with the Beavers? I, I, what do you think? I think that's the golden question. <laughs> hey, really, the rule of twenty-one. There's only one game under the Wilcox era that doesn't apply to the rule of twenty-one. So, and that's the Cheez-It Bowl. <laughs> so. The rule of 21 works. Can, does it work against these beavers? Uh, who score an average of... Let me check here. Uh, did I pull this up? It'll load because I had this up. Oregon State. Uh, they score 35.1 points per game. They're going to hit that 21 mark real quick. I don't know. The big that's the biggest matchup. It's the biggest matchup of the game. Can it's it and I love the way that the question is asked cuz it's can Cal keep up. So it means it's on the offense to take advantage of Oregon State's defense. I think that's spot on. I think that's the matchup. Offense has to win its matchups in order for us to be in this game. And this is the season that we're having. Offense has to play well enough for us to be in these games. As we look forward, like the future that I really am hoping that we're building towards is one where we'll be able to rely defensively instead of the offense. And that is where we've had our most success under Wilcox is when we've been able to say, yeah, whatever, you take the ball. We'll just shut you down again, right? That was the Evan Weaver defenses were like, yeah, all right, game on the line, punt. You have it. We believe that our defense will win this game. Now, we've had some really good wins when that we've trusted the offense. We had the old Miss win. We've had the uh, win, you know, the big game win. But, you know, the big ones, like I can think of, like the USC win, the defense won us that Not football Not trash talking? Yep. <laughs> won us a football game. Uh but that's what we would yeah. do. We would just be like, ah, you guys try to drive down yeah. the field. But 
the obvious answer here is to not have to do that, to be balanced enough where you don't have to do that. But to me, like that's where we're going. And I hope that this, you know, the big thing that you go into Oregon state, I think as you go into Oregon state, you hope that you start to see, you continue to see the progression on that side of the football. Can Cal hold them to 20 to 25 points? That's, that's exactly it, right? Let's, they score 35 points per game. If this defense does what it's supposed to do, then I think realistically, like outside of like another Washington State, like huge shutdown of their offense type of game, they're going to at least, in my opinion, score at least 25 to 28. I think you could take a touchdown off that board. I think we'll get we'll we'll get to that point. So if you're if they stop at 28, can you score 28 or 29 to keep within reach? I don't know. We're going to have to see on Saturday. Yeah. But the underneath, the underneath routes would be a part of it. But I think at some point we're also going to just like the one thing that we don't do a lot is we just don't throw the ball up and expect our receiver to come down. With we it. did earlier in the year. Yeah. We haven't done that as much anymore. I haven't seen it. That would be the one that. Like, interesting. Yeah. It would be, be great to see if we can make that happen, but I'm excited. Four o'clock game. Yep, four o'clock right? game, Pac-12 Network. Pac-12 Network is going to be in Berkeley for this game, too. So they're like, they're going to be, you know, you know that they, they do, they do like their own college game day type of thing where they like do the picks and all that with all their guys. And so that'll be fun. I don't know where they're going to be set up. Maybe probably inside the stadium, but hopefully they do something like on Sproul and you know, something, something fun like that. But we have one more reader question and I can't skip this because it is from our dear friend and other podcast host for right for California, Peter. So we have to, we have to end with this, right? we got it. I'm still trying to think yeah. about what my second point was. So take as much Peter time. Peter says, want. is this defensive performance a bounce back, a dead cat bounce or just how bad Colorado is? I think I remembered what my point was. <laughs> Say it. Wait, I'll answer this question first, real quick. I think it's. I think. Wow, there's a bold I think it's a move. progression. I think it's a defense that is on the rise. It's not a bounce back. It's not a dead cat bounce. I'd say the bounce back happened against Oregon, and that would be it. Your All second right. point. Do you remember what my first point was? That's a very good question. (laughs) (laughs) What was your first point? All right. The second point was that it can always be worse. And I really hope that's not the first point. It wasn't the first point. And I think that's the fundamental thing that we saw against Colorado which is it could always be worse. And if that picture, I mean, I know we see it with basketball, but it's harder when you're actually looking at the football equivalent of worse. And that Colorado football team is the equivalent of worse. And so as you look at that and you say, okay, I want to make this change, understand that that outcome that you just saw 
losing to a team that you are already frustrated with, 26-3. That is a potential outcome of that change. That's the risk. So to Peter's question, I felt like it was relevant. I think the Lord, I remembered what the point actually was. So yes, Colorado is that bad, but Cal's a good enough coach team to take advantage of it. And it's what you said. You're punching up. You're not playing down. And I can't tell you how hard that is as an athlete. You go out there on a tennis court and you get someone who's just going to push the ball and they're, they're, their skill set is 10 times worse than yours. But they have a pretty fucking good game plan. And they know what they're going to do. They're going to make the ball back and they're going to force you to win the points. It is sometimes easier to play down to the opponent and just say, I, I'm going to make more than you. And off, I, that's what some of our coaches said. All right, someone's going to push against you, push the ball back. Meet them where they're at. But as you develop, you start to do things like serve and volley. You start to employ different game plans to overcome a lesser opponent that has a good strategy. We don't, we can't really speak to the strategy that Colorado was trying to employ, but they're a Pac-12 opponent, and therefore they get the benefit of the doubt on that. That there was a strategy, maybe outside of their offensive line coach, who's now gone, but that they had something that they were trying to put into play. And Cal is a well-coached enough team where they executed everything they damn wanted to. And so that, for me, yes, it's like yes to Peter's point, but also, I think, positives that you can take away from it. So they are that bad, particularly on the offensive side of the football, but they also are good on the defensive side of the football. And so some of the gains that we made on offense are is real momentum that we can carry into this next, next matchup. And I'll end yeah. there. Finally, you know full the, circle. An hour and 15 you know minutes why later. It's also full circle because his second question was about thoughts on Cal being the cause of another assistant coach firing. <laughs> and you talked about it. Perfect. 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 Name me another program that causes assistant coaches to get fired. Stanford, Stanford got head coaches fired <laughs> the week after playing them. <laughs> But we we so got funny. a position coach or a coordinator fired after beating them. That's my thing for this. So, I we I tried to think of one. I couldn't. And the the crazier part is I was like figuring out like did we ever get an assistant coach fired under Tedford? Because if we have, that's three straight regimes at Cal that have impacted another opponent's coaching tree dude you gotta imagine those java years when he's running for 300 yards i'm sure there was a defensive staff member that was fired was that Ty- did we did we get tyrone willingham fired when java ran what was that in 2008 i think where he ran for like two or 300 yards or 400 yards and single like four or five touchdowns and single-handedly destroyed washington But anyways, that's it. That's the pod. Um, we haven't done this in a while, so we have to end with this. We always, we've always used to do a victory cannon, right? We always added something into it. Andy, I think, just thought of something because I saw a twinkle in his eye. Um, 
I was just excited. We have the victory cannon after yeah, a victory. Well, Sac State. <laughs> but we haven't done the victory cannon in a while, and this is probably because we've been losing. But uh, it's, it's our second victory, our first Pac-12 win of the year. So we might as well do one, right? Got to celebrate the victories. Okay. I got an out-of-pocket right. one. Hit me. I think that there's a lot of different things that I try to talk about in regards to awareness. And this one is a little different than where I usually go, but with veterans day coming up and understanding that all of the veterans this year had a particularly challenging year, particularly those that served in Afghanistan and what happened and how it concluded that it's just, it's just been a lot. So if you know someone who is a veteran, sending them a nice message, checking in with them, supporting them in some ways. Great. There is a a program that I just sponsored a wreath for through a colleague of mine where they go out and they lay wreaths on the fallen memory, you know, the fallen veterans graves and uh, they lay those out. It's really nice. It's very affordable. It's $15 to sponsor a wreath. It's really not a huge thing. And uh, a wreath, I say wreath, good Lord (laughs) wreath. And I highly recommend just, you know, I, I think it's a pretty simple name. Um, I can probably pull it up here in a second. But as your, you know, Veterans Day is coming up, just please have some veterans in mind. If, if there's a veteran-owned business that you can support, like our dog trainers, veteran, um, just someone that you can send a nice message to and say, hey, like, I just thanks for your service. That's all it has to be. Uh, you know, whether or not, like, I have my own perspective on, you know, if we should be in these wars, all that type of stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, um, it's not really, you didn't, you don't sign up to question those decisions. You sign up to serve and um, it's a, it's a very honorable thing to do. And we should support those people through a pretty tough time. You know what? I'm going to make it a little bit more specific from your comment because I just saw this on my Instagram feed today and I think it's a perfect segue. So my buddy, I'm shouting him out here. Paul, Paul Kim, my buddy, Paul Kim, he is a former Marine. And after his years of service in the Marines, decided to go back to school, right? He got into an Ivy League school. He gone to Brown. He was of the mentality of if I'm going to go back to college, I might as well go to the top. And he got into Brown. He's at Brown. All right. You can follow him on you can follow him on Instagram at general under, underscore Kimbo K I M B O. He is not a general, by the way. <laughs> it's just that's just his thing. But um, the the Ivy League Veterans Council for this week is doing uh, like a runner donation, right? So my buddy Paul is running, like he's actually physically going to run. I don't remember what how it parlays like exactly what the exchange rate is, but the amount of money you donate to him, he'll have to run that amount of miles. So his entire thing on Instagram is like, if you want to watch me suffer, just donate a couple bucks and you can watch me run. And all of this money goes back to the injured Marine Semper Fi Fund. With him being a former Marine, I think this is perfect. So if you want to do it, once again, his Instagram handle is general underscore Kimbo, K-I-M-B-O. And in his uh, in his about, like bio, there's a link, a Go Rally Up link, and you can donate to him and watch my buddy run. If you're able, if you're willing, 
please do it. I would love to watch him run more miles just because I shouted him out on a podcast. <laughs> love that. Can you I tweet will. the link? I will. Okay. I will. I'm not even going to tell him. And he's just going to get a bunch of these donations from names he doesn't even know. <laughs> donate donate in the donate name of Oski. Yeah, everyone donate. Un, everyone do the thing. If you're going to donate, okay, I rec- I'm going to ask you to do this. Everyone donate like they did for the shutdown full cast donations they did earlier this year. Just donate with some random Cal, like former Cal player name or like a, a, a Cal stat of some sort, right? The amount of, because I donate, when I donated, I did the total number of tackles in the Cheez-It Bowl. <laughs> that was my, that was my stat. So uh, do something fun. Um, and then after this donation thing closes, I'll let him know. Um, that that's where he got all those random ones. If we, if maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm expecting too much from our uh, listenership, but if we get enough, I'll just be like, hey, that's where you got all the random ones, man. <laughs> now you got to run those miles. Uh, but yeah, Paul, you're gonna probably listening to this in post, but I hope you run a lot, man. <laughs> Do it at Brown. <laughs> Do it at Brown. I don't Love even know it. what the. That was perfect. People are gonna think yeah, we planned no, these. We did not. This is why we've been potting for years. Off, Off the, the cuff. cuff. Yep. We might spend too much time with each other. That might be it. <laughs> uh, but that wraps it up for the California Golden Bearcast. Once again, you can find us on Twitter at Golden Bearcast. You can find all the written stuff at writeforcalifornia.com. You'll see all of the stuff that we write and all of the Oregon State previews all that will be going up of course if you're listening to this before the Oregon State game there should be a know your enemy podcast where we interview someone from building the dam uh, later this week so be on the lookout for that and this is gonna be an exciting week for Cal fans man it's gonna be a really 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 exciting week what a home game we got and what a chance to make the stadium time to go and as always go Bears. Go Bears.